This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. Here is your host, Chris Swain. Today on the podcast, we are continuing through our Long Hollow Revival series, and we're going to ask a question that I think has probably been on some people's minds. I know it's crossed my mind, and it's a question that that is uh, one that we want to answer today as we wrap up this series, this season of the podcast. And the question is this, is the revival over? Mm. Is the revival over? You know, when you think about what God is doing, what he has done, once again, we want to point and give all credit to the Lord for what he's done in our midst and, and thinking through all the things that he's done, the, the number of people who have uh, moved from, from death to life, salvation, the number of people who've been baptized, uh, children, students, all areas of our church. Uh, it's just been incredible to see what God has done. But there's this skeptic inside of me. I'm not going to say inside of all of us. For sure mm-hmm. inside of me, because mm-hmm. that's my default, sadly, is what's going on here, Lord, and how long are you going to do this? Mm-hmm. And when we think of church work as pastors and ministers, we want to perpetuate things that are great like yeah. this. But then we have to go back to the the fact that we didn't create it. God created it. As you've said before, we can, we can stack wood so that the fire burns, but God is the one who does the work. And so in the back of my mind, continually thinking, how many more weeks will we baptize the way we've been baptizing? How many more mm-hmm. weeks will the altars be flooded with people pouring their hearts out to God? asking and repenting. And so each one of those times, I, you know, obviously I, I have to uh, ask the Lord to forgive me and yeah. <laughs> repent for that mindset. But it is a practical question as well. Yeah, uh, Where are we at with this revival? What is God doing now? It's been five months. It's been many weeks. We've seen uh, thousand plus people baptized. I mean, I, I say all that only to brag and what the Lord has done, but also to ask the question, what where are we at in this? Is yeah. it, and I'm, so I'm going to ask you that. Is the revival over? Yeah, I would say um, that's a great question. Uh, I would say the intensity of the, um, the wind or the spirit mm-hmm. or the ruach mm-hmm. has um, settled down from um, the beginning. Yeah. And it naturally has to. You cannot you cannot stay on the mountaintop forever. You cannot run at a frenetic pace forever. You're going to yeah. burn out, and so God knows that. So there are seasons of hot, um, you know, burning five alarm fire mm-hmm. encounters, and then there's a simmer to the flame, mm-hmm. and the flame kind of simmer, and then you stoke the flames, and they kind of yeah. uh, come back up again. I will say this though: um, we have seen at this point in five months, we have seen. 1,222 people baptized mm-hmm. in five months. Wow. Um, yeah. Incredible. And, and, and again, it's only the Lord. There's no yeah. sermon series we could have preached. There's no, uh, we couldn't have been smart enough to do this. There's no strategic outreach. And some may say, wow, that, you know, y'all always baptize that many. Well, the year before, we baptized 250 the year before COVID, 258. Mm-hmm. The year before that, I think it was something like 180. 
So it wasn't like we were constantly baptizing people for the sake of baptizing people. We were passionate about disciple making. Mm -hmm. So we were baptizing people, but we knew that baptism wasn't the finish line. It was the starting line, which I think is comical when people online or Facebook criticize us and say, man, I hope to hope to God those guys figure out how to disciple all those people are so sad that they had all those baptisms, but no strategy. And I'm like, well... (laughs) Actually, that is the very thing we had in place, you know, and granted, it's been difficult. How do you baptize? How do you disciple 1200 plus people? Right. And we're working on it. Our team's doing a great job, but I'm going to share with you that the the revival is never over. Mm. Okay. Once you, once you step into Chris, the stream of revival, Mm -hmm. once you cross over the, the Jordan, Mm-hmm. And you you move from casual, mundane, routine Christianity to a promised land, milk and honey flowing uh, environment. You don't ever want to go back over the Jordan. You right. can't. You yeah. can't go back over the Jordan. There's no right. way. There's no going back. Now, the 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 wind and 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 the aftermath of a wind blowing through. Because when a wind blows through, I've been through storms before. When a wind blows through. It leaves an aftermath of destruction and wreckage and, mm-hmm. and things, you know. So yeah. the wind of the spirit has blown through. It hadn't left destruction, but it has he has put his mark on us. Right. Okay. And it's after that time that we realize we're never the same. Mm. We're changed. Yeah. Here's what I've learned from this movement I want to share with you. I've learned five things I want to share with you, uh, hopefully yeah. succinctly, some shorter than others. Sure. Number one is this I've learned about faith. I've realized before this move of God, my faith was way too small. My belief in a big God was Mm. way too small. In fact, my prayers because of that were way too small. Mm. What do I mean? Faith is not just intellectual belief in uh, in an object or just uh, belief in nothing. There actually has to have an object of your faith, and faith always works. Mm. You don't your faith. You don't work to be saved, but true faith will work. And you, mm. you know that from James right. and other, James says true faith will work itself out. It, right. It's going to work itself out. And faith works itself out in the belief you have and what you believe God can do in your life or not mm. do. And I started studying the gospels and realizing that the one thing that hindered Jesus working in a town, mm. what could hinder the sovereign move of a savior to heal and to cause people to walk and the lame to get up and the deaf to hear, unbelief. Unbelief limited the power of God. Now, God's sovereign and he knew that. I get that. But I wonder how much in your life is limiting God because of your lack of faith. Manly Beasley has become a, a real mentor to me. He's, he's passed away um, some years ago, but he, uh, his sons have become my friends, uh, through texting and phone calls. And we're going to actually start We're really excited about this. We're starting a new series here. We're working on it now. Uh, the next series is going to be stories of revival mm-hmm. from revivalist through the years. Yes. A couple seasons from now on the podcast, we're going to walk through and talk to these people who were either directly related or the individual, if we can, to talk about Yes. revival and how it, how it operates. And yeah. And, and one of those will be hopefully the sons of Manly Beasley. Manly Beasley was a man of faith. If you don't know who he is, mm. but he said a line that I have not forgotten about. And here's what the line and, and the kids told me his two sons, they said, dad would ask us this at the dinner table 
and at the breakfast table. I said, over cereal? Yes, over <laughs> cereal. I was like, yeah, here's the line. What are you trusting in God for? That if God doesn't intervene in your life with that belief or request, you're wrecked. Hmm. Let me ask you that. What are you believing or trusting in God for today? That if God doesn't step in, you are sunk, you're a mess, it won't happen. Hmm. God showed me through this revival. He wants to do greater things than even I can ask or imagine. Mm. Edward uh, Edward Graham, I got to hear from him a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, Candy and I were at a conference, and he told great, this is Franklin Graham's son, mm -hmm. who was the grandson of Billy Graham, and he told stories, obviously, about his grandfather and his dad, and we were on the edge of our seat, but he said his dad was a man of faith. Mm. And he said, every time we would put together our goals and plans for the next year, we would bring them to dad yeah. and dad would look at them to see if they had quote, God run, room in them. Mm -hmm. Did the plan have God room? Yeah. And he said, when I would bring the plans early on, he would look at me and he would say, can you accomplish this this year? Yeah, I think I can. Edward would say, he'd say, go back. It's not big enough. What? No, no, you can do that. Go back, make it bigger. He said, now bring this plan back to dad over and over until finally the plan I presented to what I was believing God to do that year was destined to fail by human effort. Mm. When it was at that stage, dad would say, now you have a plan that has God room. Mm. Friends, let me ask you as we go to the break, what are you believing God for that has God room in it, mm. whereby your human efforts, it is destined to fail if God doesn't step in? Are you struggling with the fatigue of ministry post-COVID? Have you experienced some fruit but hit a plateau in your life or even your church? Could you benefit from a group of like-minded leaders who can help you achieve your God-given potential? Being a church leader is more challenging today than it has ever been, and the pandemic hasn't made it any easier to lead. We now have a whole new set of problems to deal with as church leaders that will require new solutions. With this in mind, we developed the Replicate Collective. This is a close-knit group of church leaders who want to help you and your church unleash your God-given potential. Members of the collective will interact with premier church leaders, men like Will Mancini, David Platt, Pete Scazzaro, and many others. Members of the collective create catalytic clarity for their church and personal lives. They participate in weekly huddles with like-minded church leaders and you'll get personal coaching from me and the Replicate team. If you're interested in applying to join the collective or simply want to find out more, head over to replicatecollective.com, replicatecollective.com. We have limited spots, so you want to check it out today. And we're back talking about the Long Hollow Revival and this question, is the revival over? And so we've answered that question specifically with a no, <laughs> the revival is never mm -hmm. over, but specifically some things we learned from it to reflect upon why and how God will continue to work and do great things. And so hopefully you've been learning from some of those as Pastor Rob, let's get right back into those so we can make sure to get through them in this podcast yep. there. So far, uh, pretty profound questions from a couple of pretty uh, radical Christians <laughs> who yep. have, have led for many years and mainly Beasley and Billy Graham. So you started at the top with some of those leaders, yeah. right? <laughs> you started at the top. All right, here we go. Prayer. Second thing, faith. God used this to increase my faith. Mm -hmm. um, number two, prayer. God showed me through this revival that prayer is the key 
to him moving in my life, in my church, in my family. Jonathan Falwell, another one, um, talked about his dad at the same meeting. And he said, my dad, uh, Jerry Falwell Sr., has three quotes on his tombstone. Three quotes. The first two are, are, are popular, more known, but the last one he said is his favorite. And here's what the last quote says. Every failure in life is a prayer failure. Hmm. Every failure in life is a prayer failure. What does he mean? The reason you don't have, the Bible says, is because you don't ask. Hmm. And even when you do ask, James says, you ask with the wrong motives. Jesus made a promise, and I'm not preaching a sermon on this, but I, I want to one day. Jesus, Jesus made a promise. Whatever you ask in my name, yeah. what do you say, Chris? It, it, it shall be done. It, it shall be, be done. done. It yeah. will be done for you. Now, Jesus, you're either lying, which we know he's not, or he's telling the truth, which mm-hmm. he is. And so I begin to pray uh, more. And I realize that prayer is both my responsibility and it's mm-hmm. dependent upon God's sovereignty. And so someone told me this years ago, pray as if it's all dependent upon you, but trust knowing it's all dependent upon God. Mm-hmm. Pray as if it's all dependent upon you, but trust and know that it's all dependent upon God. Mm-hmm. My prayer time now with my sermon prep and other things, I, I, told, I told you this before, but I, I find myself now praying and sitting with the Lord for my sermon more than I actually spend time preparing the sermon. <laughs> I'm praying over the sermon, over the response, mm-hmm. over over what Which I'm going to say. is part of the preparation now. Part of the preparation. <laughs> yes, yes, that is part of the preparation now. Okay, right. so prayer... I believe when we get to heaven, the greatest thing we're going to learn is that our life uh, did not see the potential God could have used us in, not because of unanswered prayers, mm. but because of unoffered prayers. Wow. We didn't offer prayers. Number three, spiritual warfare is real. Um, I'm learning more and more about spiritual warfare. For years, I did not think about spiritual warfare. I was not cognizant of spiritual Mm -hmm. warfare. I frankly, like some of you listening, never thought about spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've learned since then that the devil's greatest tactic is to make people believe he's not real. And not only that he's not real, you, you might not go that far and say, ah, I don't know if I don't believe it, he's not real, but to, but to believe that he doesn't have an impact or he's not working the way he is. So if he can lull us into thinking, man, he's not a big deal. That's not a threat. And then you start reading passages like Ephesians 6, which says, be strong or be strengthened in the Lord and by his vast strength. And here's what he says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the schemes or the wiles or the plans of the devil mm. for, for, he says. So put on the armor of God for, because we are not battling, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers in the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Mm. So what I've learned is, and I've studied spiritual warfare a lot, what I've learned is that everything in your life negative is not of the enemy, okay? Mm. Satan, you got to realize this, the devil is the delivery boy of God's purposes and plans in your life. You need to realize this. Mm. He's just the delivery boy, yeah. okay? That's all he is. But he is, he is working in our life, and so spiritual warfare is real. And it's not necessarily Satan himself on your doorstep, but he has an entourage. He has an army of minions, okay, which leads to the fourth point, and, and it dovetails from the third God is sovereign over spiritual warfare. 
God is sovereign over spiritual warfare. Chris, I'm learning, and, and we did a whole podcast on the level of spiritual warfare that mm-hmm. Candy and me and our family endured yeah. leading up to the revival and even through the revival. Mm-hmm. We le- and we talked about putting on the spiritual armor every day, visually, emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, visualizing it and putting it on, praying over it. Um, but one of the things I've realized is that God... God's greatest instrument to bring you and me into a closer, intimate relationship with him mm-hmm. is suffering, it is a trial. That's what he uses. God is always about molding and shaping us into the image of his son, okay? So one of the things I want you to get over spiritual warfare and the sovereignty of God is that there's something in the Bible called the Lordship of Christ, and I'm learning this more and more, the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ doesn't just mean when God says something, you do it. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. It doesn't mean listen to the commands of God and respond. That's part of it. The Lordship of Christ means that God, and you need to get here if you're not, God is in control of everything that happens in this earth, on this earth and in this world. There's nothing that happens that didn't happen by him. For all things were created by him and for him. Nothing was created that was not by him. Okay, Not a sparrow falls from the sky without God knowing it. Not a hair falls from your head without God recognizing it. I mean, so God is, he's in control. I like to say there's there are no accidents in the economy of God. Okay, So if everything that happens in this world is under the lordship of Christ, God's in control, then that means even suffering, trials, tribulations can be traced back to God. Mm-hmm. Now, the devil is the delivery boy yeah. who takes the, you know, he's the messenger, if you will. He, he's the one who delivers it to your doorstep, but you don't really get mad at the delivery boy. In fact, when the mailman brings bills to your doorstep, you don't get mad at him. Why'd you bring a tax bill? I didn't, I didn't need that. You know, you don't get mad at him. He's just a delivery boy, which is why this is another topic for another day, which is why the Bible, I think doesn't say attack the devil. You'll realize all through scripture, we're never told to go on the offense against Satan. Never. In fact, it's just the opposite. Take your stand, stand firm, be strengthened by the Lord, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand over and over, stand, stand, resist. Why? Because the battle has already been won. Jesus fought the battle on the cross. It's won. We're on the home team, folks. We we win in the end. Amen. Like we win this thing in the end. We're not, we're not defeated. We're not overwhelmed. We win. However, if the, if the delivery boy is the devil, and God can be traced back to the suffering and pain and trials that he's using, watch this, to bring us into an intimate relationship with him, to teach us lessons that we wouldn't learn otherwise, then it moves us from being sad and depressed and upset. Why is all this happening? To welcoming suffering in our life. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But you change your perspective to realize, wow, what a gift. God is allowing this to happen because he's strengthening me. He's encouraging me. He's lifting me up. He's got this. He's not leaving me. He's not away from me. He's right by my side. The final thing I've learned is this. When God moves, he can do more in a moment than any man or woman can manufacture in a lifetime. What do I mean? 
when God when God creates and moves in revival in your midst, and I and listen, if you haven't experienced anything like this, my prayer is that you would fervently pray. You'd get your people to pray. You'd be on your face yeah. to pray and ask God to start with you. Mm-hmm. You know, the old Billy Sunday quote is, Billy Sunday said, go in a room, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, kneel on the floor, mm-hmm. ask God to revive everything in the circle and use the person in the circle to revive others around him. And that will start revival. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. Yeah, You ask the Lord to start with me. Mm-hmm. Start, God, start with me. And what we're seeing about this move of God is entire legacies, entire generations have been changed Hmm. and are being changed. What what I mean, listen, I don't know if you've seen an entire family like Acts 16 be baptized. Hmm. I'm I'm talking an entire family. I have seen that, Chris, not once, not twice, at least two hands, um, two hands I can count where we have baptized entire families, mm-hmm. the mom, the dad, the brother, the sister, the little brother, mm-hmm. entire families. Yeah. And you think about, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about the obligatory, let's get in from, cause older brothers in. no, no, these people are moved and weeping and yeah. crying out to the Lord and just shook by the grace mm-hmm. of God in their life. Yeah. And so I just think when God moves, he can do more in a moment mm-hmm. in your life than you can ever see or experience at any conference or seminar or books you yeah. read or sermons you've heard or anything you've encountered outside of a move of God. So all that to say, here's our challenge. Pray for God to move. Mm. And you be willing, as we said at the beginning of the podcast when we started this series, every great movement of God begins by not moving. Yeah, And you need to be willing to say, God, I'm not going to move until you move in my life. Hmm. So I think that answers the question. <laughs> is the revival over? No. And to lean into those five things you mentioned, uh, are you having faith to believe that God can revive your people? We're still having that faith here at Long Hollow. Are you praying and seeking God to do great things in your midst, in your church, in your life? Yes, and we're continuing to do that at Long Hollow. Are we praying through spiritual warfare and asking God to move? Yes, are we believing that God is sovereign even in the things we don't love? Absolutely. And so God is going to continue to revive us because, as you said, God can do more in a moment than any of us in a lifetime. And that's the God we serve. That's the God of Long Hollow. That's the God of your church. And we're so thankful that you got to join us for this series. Can't wait to press into the next season here in Making Disciples. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, Share it with a friend via text, and if you wouldn't mind, give us a rating on wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. And until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org.